just pray pray out of that uh, hymn. Lord, we just thank you so much, Jesus, for how that song and how so many worship songs are able to focus us on the great reality of your life, the great reality of your death and its impact on us and the world over from the time of your uh, sacrifice to today and to the end of time. We worship you, Jesus. Thanks for turning our eyes towards you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you just thank our worship team for leading us in that great hymn? You can have a seat. We will be in the book of Philippians. We'll miss it, won't we? But we're going to be in Philippians, so if you want to turn to Philippians 2. We'll take a look there. Um, <laughs> the beginning of this month, my wife Heather and I had the privilege of going in to England. Um, we were there for a number of reasons. One was just to celebrate our anniversary. So uh, we had, a year ago, gone through a period of suffering, difficulty, and challenge. Many of you have gone through these kinds of things before where my wife was hospitalized for a period of time and then um, at home and then went through a significant surgery. And this was all during the month of March last year. And our anniversary is on March 9th, so it was just like wiped out, you know, nothing happened. So um, we had the opportunity to go and serve at a conference in Manchester, England, at the beginning of March, which happened to be over our anniversary, so it was just fun to be back there. We just like going. My wife is, she did 23andMe and found out she's like 95% uh, English or UK or Irish or Scottish or, you know, that kind of thing. And so it, we have fun going there. And I remember the first time we went, one of the really primary things that especially Heather wanted to do was to see the crown jewels, right? Uh, to, to go to the Tower of London and be able to see the crown jewels, there's a, there's a picture that I have of those uh, that you can look at. And the crown jewels are, are beautiful, they signify royalty, and they signify authority, right? And really, um, as we move through the book of Philippians, there's one passage that actually is one of what I would call the crown jewels of the New Testament, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a passage that displays royalty and it displays authority. And, uh, and that's our passage for today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. So let's take a look at and read this passage again. And again, we've um, hit this passage before, but today we're going to kind of go a new direction as we talk about who we're celebrating this week. Verse 5 begins, In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That at the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, 
the name that is above every other name. When Jesus came, one of the, the declarations about him would be that he would be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. And as Jesus came with this powerful name, and um, he was given the name Jesus, Matthew one twenty one says, because it says that his name will mean that his people will be saved from their sins. And in fact, Peter laid hold of this, and, and, and in realizing what happened in the death of Christ on the cross, he says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no other name. There is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. If you're taking a note, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There was a a movie that came out a little over a week ago based on the song, I Can Only Imagine. Um, and I know that, that many of you have heard that song before about the, the wonderment of what happens when we come into the presence of God. And there's a line in it that says, um, when, will I stand in your presence or at your feet will I fall? Well, just standing on the word of God, I think that, that when we come into the presence of Jesus and we see the royalty and the authority and the beauty of who Jesus is, that we are going to fall at his feet. Why will every knee bow? Why will every tongue agree with the truth? What's so amazing about Jesus? I have one goal this morning with you, and that is that you meet Jesus in a new way, that you have a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ, that you walk into this week, which is the week walking to Easter, with an eager desire, a hunger, a thirst to know Jesus in a new way. Father God, bless us today by removing every distraction in the name of Jesus, every concern we carry in our everyday life, everything that would draw us toward the temporary toward the next, and just let us step back and know that you are here. Father, through Jesus, pour out your Holy Spirit as a spirit of revelation today about the wonder and the amazement of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do is say, let's, let's meet this amazing Jesus more this week. Let's know this amazing Jesus more this week. If it helps you take notes, Take notes along the way. Um, the very first thing in this passage that helps us to know Jesus more, to know him in a, in a wonderful way, is that he's in very nature God. Jesus is in very nature God. He's fully God. He's fully God. Remember what I just said a moment ago? Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, 121 says you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. 123 says, Matthew 123 says, you will call him Emmanuel because he will be God with us. Not someone like God, but God himself with us. Jesus is called the Son of God. Okay? Let's remember a few things. In his baptism in Matthew chapter, chapter 3, verse 17, 
Jesus goes into the water, and as he's coming up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven from the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. The voice of God himself. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, or at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus begins to be tempted by the devil. And if you remember just for a moment what he's tempted about, is he's tempted about who he really is. You'll go back, you can read it again this week. Because the devil says, if you are the son of God, then turn these rocks into bread. If you are the son of God, jump off this temple mount and the angels will hold you up. He attacks who the father just declared and affirmed he was, the very son of God. And then as Jesus moves out into his ministry, and I want to read this to you if you want to write it down, it's Luke chapter 4, verse 41. And it's uh, the minute as he is uh, experiencing and doing the ministry of healing, he um, it says this, at sunset, Jesus uh, was brought many people, all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and he laid his hands on each of them and healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. All right, so his father, who is God, declared that Jesus is God. The enemy of God, Satan, and his team knew who Jesus was and wanted people to know Jesus is the son of God. Get into more of that why in a moment but that they were also declaring that. And then it took a lot of time and ministry for things to move on, and it's not until Matthew chapter 16, if you're taking notes, write that down, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 16. Jesus had hundreds and hundreds of followers. From among them, he chose 12 who he called apostles. They were the closest to him. And at one time, uh, as recorded in Matthew 16, he says to them, who do the people say that I am? And different disciples say, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Um, some say even that you are John. Uh, come back from the dead or the spirit of John the Baptist is upon you. And then he, he moves it from saying, who do people say that I am to who do you say that I am? And that's really ultimately the question for us. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Today, this week, in your celebration of Easter. Who do you know Jesus to be? Because if you have any doubt or any, any way in which you're off even just a little bit, that's dangerous for you. If you say he's just a prophet, he's just a teacher, he's just a man, um, he, he, he carries with him all the, all the truth and wisdom. But actually, this passage and throughout Scripture, it leads with the fact that no, Jesus is of a different kind, of a different order. He's actually God. And Peter makes this incredible statement. Jesus, you are the, the Christ, the Son of God. Read the passage again. Jesus says back to Peter, he goes, no one told you this. The Father revealed it to you. Did you know you can't know who Jesus is Unless God awakens you, opens your eyes. You wonder about 
your spouse or your family member, your child, your grandchild, uh, the parents that you're going home to, your friend that you grew up with. How is that person going to meet Jesus? Well, God's probably going to faithfully use you and your experience and your encounter and your engagement with a God who's not an idea or a philosophy or a creed, but real. And there's going to be a revelation. That's how Jesus is known. But here it's stated, Jesus is God. Now let's go to the cross. Jesus is on the cross. Read it again this week. His, the people who had accused him, who were jealous of him, who had turned against him, particularly the leaders and the lawyers and the religious people, pointed a finger at him. And this may now sound familiar to you. They said, if you are the Son of God, come off the cross. You saved others. Can't you save yourself? Woo. Are you getting it? But as he died, a secular man, a hardworking man, a man who'd known blood and toil and sweat as a Roman centurion, looked upon how he died and said, surely this is the Son of God. Jesus is fully God. Um, if you have a moment to, to write down a, a cross-reference that's so helpful in Paul's writing, is it's in the book of Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it's very specific. Paul writes, In Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. These witnesses of Jesus as God, the Son of God, that he's the image of the invisible God, that he's, he's the fullness of deity in bodily form. Write it down, Colossians chapter 2.9. You can also cross-reference Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. John... Uh, the Apostle John writing in the opening of uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18, says it in this way. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in close relationship with the Father, has revealed him. Right? There's a revelation of who God is when we see Jesus because Jesus is God. Now, I want to talk to you about the difference between Jesus and every other person. There's a difference between Jesus and you and Jesus and me and Jesus and every other person who's ever lived on the planet. I have a picture that I want to show you, um, and you'll kind of immediately know what this is. It's a sperm and an egg. This is how you were created. This is how you came into being. A sperm and an egg unite. In the spring of 2016, for the first time, scientists were able to capture conception through video. 
And what happens at the point of conception when the sperm enters the egg is that the sperm has zinc in it and it's released and what happens is a flash of light. There, there's luminescence that happens as that sperm penetrates that egg and it becomes a new being. Remarkable. What it says about you is, is your intentional, fantastic, unique, individual, irrepeatable miracle of God. So whenever there's a little voice in your head that says that's not true, just say, liar, that was me. I'm a winner. I teach human sexuality, so don't let, get me going on this subject, right? But Jesus is different than any other, any other being. Let's look at the next picture. This is a picture uh, aimed into the heart of uh, the origin of the universe. Uh, if you go back and read the, the whole uh, beginning of John chapter 1, it talks about Jesus being at the beginning, and nothing was created except that it was created through him. Jesus is God, meaning he was, he is, he is to come. And, and the miracle is that there was an egg, but there was not that flash of light that happened because of the sperm and the zinc and with him, but that there was a miraculous way in which Jesus came, by which he was fully God and fully human, so that the one who created the universe, next slide, actually came to earth to view what he had created from the, stand, the standpoint of the earth. Jesus was God before conception. He was God on earth, and he's God forever. And this is a revelation. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just the perfect man. He's not just one who was different or better than all of us to show us the way. But he was God who came to us. We'll talk more in a minute about why that's so important. But as he came, the remarkable thing is that Jesus had all kinds of privileges and opportunities and rights and power and ways in which he could live as God while he was on the earth, but he didn't. Jesus came and it said he made himself nothing. That's the next verse in Philippians chapter 2. He made himself nothing. And I want us to think again, let's know more about this amazing Jesus as we head into this week. This is uh, the biblical word for this. The Greek word is kenosis, which means self-emptying. In other words, Jesus, though he is God and lived on earth for uh, 33 years as a man, while he was here, he said, I'm not going to operate or exercise my privileges as God. I'm making a choice. There's an intentionality behind it where Jesus says, I am going to empty myself. I'm going to become entirely receptive to God's divine will for how I'm going to live as a man. And that the ultimate aim of Jesus is his, his obedience to the plan that the Father had. Hear this again. Jesus is God, but he did not live as God. 
this really results in reading the Gospels differently. It really, really does. Because we look at Jesus sometimes and we say, well, Jesus walked on water and Jesus multiplied bread and Jesus helped someone who couldn't hear here and I could never do that. Well, it kind of tweaks with you to say, well, Jesus wasn't operating that way. He let all of that go. And he said, I'm not going to exercise my advantages or rights or my power or my strength, but I'm going to live the human life as it fully can be lived. And this is the next thing we know about Jesus from the passage. He made himself nothing and took on the, the appearance or the likeness or the, the, the body of a man. He became human, fully man. Now, in human likeness or found in appearance as a man doesn't mean that Jesus came in a disguise. He was like God in a disguise. He wasn't really a man. It, this is what it means. It's a good phrase if you want to write it down. Jesus became human and stayed human. Jesus became human and stayed human. I was just in the back with Caitlin, and she was holding a new little boar in her arms, a little boy, right? When Jesus was a baby, he was reliant upon his mother. He was reliant upon uh, the changes of diaper, however they did it at that time, the swaddling. He was reliant upon being fed, and, and he grew up just like any other person. I'm going to challenge you in a little bit to read the last week of Jesus during this next week so that a revelation can come to you more of who Jesus is. And in the scenes from Jesus last week, here's what you, here's what you kind of connect with on Jesus. He's eating. He's hanging out with his friends. He's going to the city. He's traveling. He's dealing with conflict. He's going to sleep. He's waking up. He's embracing people. He's experiencing betrayal. He's experiencing loneliness. Jesus is fully human. His human experience is the full human experience. Chapter 4, verse 15 of Hebrews says that this, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. In other words, when it talks about our weakness, it doesn't just mean when you're feeling, um, when you have a flu and you have no energy and you can't get out of bed. What that passage is talking about, Hebrews 4.15, if you're writing it down, it says, um, we have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our human condition. What we have to face and deal with in our day-to-day -day life. The stress of how to pay the next bills or, or the 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 next meal that's, gonna, that's going to come our way, how we're going to care for our parents, our mother or our brother and sisters as Jesus had to as the oldest son, right? He's not unfamiliar with weakness. He's not unfamiliar with your daily human struggle. Discovery Church, <laughs> understand this about Jesus. Because when we say he's fully God, we're like, how can I relate to him? But Hebrews chapter 4.15 that says, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. You have in Jesus Christ the, the one who gets you. He gets your situation. He knows what it means to have a broken heart. He knows what it means to grieve. 
He knows what it means to laugh until tears come out of his eyes and his guts hurt. Jesus fully was a human being. Whatever your situation today, Jesus and God are not far off. He had this intimate experience that he carries with him now in the, the context of eternity. Jesus was that Adam who was uh, as Adam could have been. Paul, Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 5, if you want to cross-reference it, if you're a big note-taker this morning. Give me a lot of scripture. You'd have fun this week. <laughs> Paul talks about this second Adam. How could man really live? Well, Jesus lived that way. And he took on the nature of a servant. Matthew 20, 28 says that he did not, the son of man did not come to serve, but uh, to, to be served. Get that right. Really edit that out. <laughs> Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. What do we see in John 13? This beautiful picture. Another reference you can write down and read this week. John chapter 13, verses 12 to 17. We're all very familiar with it. Jesus in that night that he was going to be betrayed, took off his clothes, girded up his waist, and he, he got down and washed his disciples' feet. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And he said to his disciples, if the Lord and Master has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For what I have done to you, you are to do to one another. In other words, we are to live the life of a servant. Jesus lived a selfless, obedient life, then died a selfless, obedient death. Jesus was fully man on the earth, and he remains fully man forever. Jesus, fully God, fully man, living as a man while on the earth, so that he could be obedient to death even death on a cross. Let's talk about this last amazing thing in the crown jewel of Philippians, the atonement for sin. If somebody asked you, why are you forgiven, or how do you know that you're forgiven? Because here's the deal. Hear it clearly. Hear this very clearly. Either you are going to die in your sin, or you are going to accept that Jesus died for your sin. Those are the two destinies of people. Today, if Jesus hasn't forgiven your sin because you haven't received and understood that Jesus died for your sin and you need that forgiveness and you need him to come and to fill you with his life and his strength and to lead you through this life so that you can live looking like him and being a blessing to yourself, to your family, and to all the others that you know. If you haven't come to that point, you're still in your sin and you're destined for death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. You might have been coming to church for a long time, but you've never really grasped this. You don't want to die in your sin. You want to receive the fact that Jesus died for sin, for your sin, and to receive that by faith. When we uh, experience baptism next week, that's the confession that's happening in baptism. That person is saying, you died for my sin in my place. 
That's the atonement for sin. Matthew 20, 28, the rest of that verse. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Some of you know this already. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was going to exchange his life for other people's life. Now, he's going to be obedient to the Father in terms of this plan. But it was anguishing to him as a man. If he held on to his rights as God, he could just say, well, I'm perfectly in alignment with the Father's will, and it's not going to be too difficult. But here's the challenge. He laid that aside so that he would live fully as a human being and have to face the reality of suffering and death that every human being has to face. Let's look at this picture of Jesus. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane very clearly. The anguish that Jesus had in solely having to pursue this as his disciples slept nearby. The scripture says that it was such an intense yielding, and I think this is where we see the kenosis, the self-emptying more than any other place where Jesus is yielding to the will of the Father, knowing that the way humanity was going to have access to the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God was for him to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I would even contend that the yielding in the Garden of Gethsemane was that final battle that Jesus had to wage as he moved toward the cross. So why why are we saved? Why is it important that Jesus is God? Jesus is human. And how does that relate to the forgiveness of sin? This last week there was a uh, there was a terrorist attack in France. So much is happening in our world; it's hard to keep up with what goes on. Some of you may know that. Some of you may not. In the midst of this this terrorist attack, the 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 person who had um, declared allegiance to ISIS put themselves in a store and took hostages. In the midst of that process, a police officer, Colonel Arnaud Beltram, a French police officer, exchanged himself for one of the hostages. As the the scene and the process played out, this is Arnaud, as the scene played out and the police retook that store, Um, Colonel Arnault was shot and a a day later died. Uh, Colonel Arnault is one man. He took his life and he exchanged it for one hostage. And that hostage now is living life in France. You know, when Jesus is in the garden, all of humanity is hostage to sin and death. All of humanity. And the power of understanding Jesus' incarnation, of knowing that he's fully a human being and fully God, is this. That only a human being could exchange his life for a human being. Um... The terrorist wasn't going to allow a dog to come in and release a hostage. Does everybody understand that? It was a person for a person. 
Because Jesus was a human being without sin, he could say, I'm going to decide to die for Jeff. Or I'm going to decide to die for Rebecca. Or I'm going to decide to die for Dave. Or I'm going to die for Vlad. And that will be my person that I will get out of this hostage situation of sin and death. But the good news, the gospel, the gospel is that on that cross, because Jesus was also God, that all of our sin could be poured upon him. And that forgiveness would be offered to every person. You know, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And it says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess on the earth, in heaven, under the earth, everybody. It's saying from the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve, to the very last people on the earth, will recognize that Jesus is the one, the one and only amazing Savior of mankind, the amazing Savior of humankind, of all people. Can we get to know this amazing Jesus a little better this week? Can we? It's, uh, today is, is something in the wider church called Palm Sunday. How many of you, you know, grew up kind of celebrating Palm Sunday? Let me see your palm. Thank you. Um, you know, five and a half days before Jesus was, was on that cross, he was well received into the city. Huge crowds. Hosanna, meaning God saves. They were declaring prophetically what they didn't understand. Absolutely God saves. And absolutely Jesus, fully God, fully man, was going to save them. They didn't understand what that meant or how that and, and the was going to look. And that it wasn't just going to be for the Jews, but it was going to be for all of humanity. But by Friday... It had shifted. Did they know who Jesus was, who Jesus is? You know, Easter is that ultimate turning point in history. That ultimate place, that ultimate pivot. It was what later then Peter was able to say, if you didn't write it down before, write it down now, Acts chapter 4 verse, third, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is salvation found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven by which we must, we must, we must be saved. What's going to make Discovery Church a great church? Maybe that's just too bad. feels like too pedestrian a question here in the moment. But we just are completing this series called Greater Than, Right? What makes Discovery Church a great church is for you, if this is your church family, if this is your home, you bow your knee now and you say, Jesus, you are greater than me. You're leading me. You've forgiven my sin. You've made me a new man. You've made me a new woman. And I pray that your grace would fill my life, that your Holy Spirit would would fill me and shine forth the glory of Christ in my life. 
It's not anything you can work up on your own. It's nothing you can do to just gut it out to be a better woman or a better man. You need the power and the grace and the mercy of God for his forgiveness and for his life-giving day-to-day direction, wisdom, and power. And when we all are doing this, then we'll all know what it means to follow Jesus as Lord in and through our life and in our city of Davis, Woodland, Dixon, Vacaville, wherever you're from, wherever you're living and walking this week. I do want to challenge you. It's a special week. It's a, it's a gift of a week to everyone who has already received Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you know that you're not dead in your sin today, that you're freed from that, that Jesus died for your sin, get to know Jesus more this week. Don't be stuck. Don't be kind of in this spot of um, staleness or or paleness that we can get into. People, I believe and I know and I understand I've been there before. But this is a time where you can be awakened to new, new life, new love. So these are some, some um, scriptures to challenge you with. Yeah, there's no verse markings there. Those are chapters. <laughs> Those are actually chapters. Matthew 21 to 27, Mark 11 to 15, Luke 19 to 23, John 12 to 19. Did you know fully of the Gospel of John is that final week and the resurrection, his resurrection, half. Um, all of the others, it's, it's a significant percentage of, of the Gospel. What happened and uh, what is recorded of Jesus' last week of life, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is, is absolutely paramount. So if you have your notes, if that's been something that you've been following today, what I want to challenge you to do is take your pen, pencil, whatever you're using, and just circle which one you're going to do. And I'm going to tell you, I am doing Luke 19 to 23. I've been reading the Gospel of Luke, and I'm going to have to read furiously today because I'm only in chapter 14. So I've got a bunch of uh, chapters to read today, but you can begin to read one or so chapter every day this week. And reading it through that new lens of Jesus, the amazing Jesus, fully God, didn't live that way lived as a human being, but on the cross as fully God and fully man, brought forgiveness of sin. For, um, and the, the worship team can come on up. Um, we're going to move toward our time of communion. But um, I want to uh, let all of us know that this can be a very special time of communion. If new revelation has come, you've been refreshed by this truth, I really urge you just to open your heart and say, Jesus, give fresh revelation of who you are as we walk into this week uh, together. But I really want to um, ask you, if you're not sure about your salvation, if you've never understood the realities I've told you today about Jesus Christ, if you've never, if you've kind of been on the outside looking in, evaluating, considering, and looking, today I want to challenge you to respond to God to say yes to Jesus, to ask for the forgiveness of your sin. It's very simple. You're either living and you're running your own life with mixed results, with 
somewhere in your wake ways in which you've done wrong or evil things, or you've neglected good things that God called you to do, all of that is sin. It's missing his mark. Jesus died for your sin. As you ask his forgiveness for what he did on the, for what he, from what he did on the cross, you'll be forgiven your sins and you'll be made new. You'll be made new. And you'll start to walk with God. And you'll begin to see that the Bible comes alive to you in a way it never has before because God says and promises he'll give you the gift of his Holy Spirit. And so if that's you today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to boldly pray that prayer. And um, during our time of response with our prayer uh, partners on the side or finding me outside to make sure that you let us know, today I began my relationship with God. I asked for the forgiveness of my sins, and I invited Jesus to begin to lead me through life. Father God, thank you that we can be together in your word and there can be revelation to us about um, who you really are and what you did, Jesus in this life. And I want to um, pray with all of Discovery Church who know you or are following you. We're not dead in our sins. We're freed from our sins by you, Jesus. And we just say thank you. And as we receive this communion, this bread and this cup, which remind us of your body and your blood, that again, it, we would be reminded of the sacrifice that cleansed us and empowers us even today to walk with you and in you. If you're that person who's never given your life to Jesus and you want to begin that today, you can pray a simple prayer like this. God, today I believe in you. Today I heard and understood things I have not before. I ask you for the forgiveness of my sins because of what Jesus did on the cross, that he took my place and took my position as hostage so that I could be free. And God, I want to live freely. I don't want to be held captive by my sin or by the things that would limit who I can be in this life. I receive your forgiveness and I ask you to fill me with your spirit and to begin to lead me and show me who you are and how I am to live the life that you've given me.